The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox, and these are your headlines. Netflix, Netflix nets 2.4 million new subscribers in the third quarter, doubling expectations and sending the stock sharply higher in extended trade. Seeing growth in paid net ads, both in actuals for Q3 and into the guide to Q4, and most importantly, a path to accelerate revenue growth and hit the ground running in 23. Goldman Sachs tops quarterly earnings estimates despite a drop-off in revenue and profit as the U.S. lender unveils plans to overhaul its top divisions. The CEO, David Solomon, tells CNBC they are preparing for a downturn. You have to expect that there's more volatility on the horizon. Now, that doesn't mean for sure that we have a really difficult economic scenario, but in the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance we could have a recession. Uh, earnings pushing Wall Street to a second straight day of gains despite a choppy overall session, whilst futures point to further moves higher at the open. The Hong Kong chief executive John Lee gives his first annual policy address, uh, making a play to attract more global talent after the easing of COVID restrictions whilst emphasising ties with the mainland. Hong Kong is one of the most competitive economies in the world. It also serves as an important gateway connecting the mainland with global markets. We must be more proactive and aggressive in competing for enterprises and competing for talents. The European Union outlines further measures to tackle surging gas prices that stop short of imposing a price cap. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says the new rules will avoid an energy bidding war. We know that Europe's energy demand is very large. So it is logical that instead of outbidding each other, the member states and the energy companies should leverage their joint purchasing power. So very good morning. Very good morning. Very to good you. morning to you. Very good morning to you. Good morning, Karen. Um, very interesting uh, that we've had a second day of gains here for European markets. Now um, we also had a positive outcome across the uh, U.S. session as well, and yet we kind of closed off the highs, didn't we? I find it shocking that so many people are so so extraordinarily surprised that uh, people are beating on their earnings. Isn't it amazing? What, it's, the it's, earnings it's like, guidance that they gave themselves, it's, they it's step like over that earnings guidance and then the market goes, my God, they've beaten their earnings quarter, guidance. Every single quarter since yes. I've been at this veritable institution, which is, yes. oh, gosh, turn of the century, you mark it down, you beat. And everyone seems so surprised by it. It's the most extraordinary thing in my life. It's like, it's like Tory leadership uh, succession bloodbath. So everyone seems so surprised all of a sudden when another one gets knifed in. It's extraordinary. Yes. You call it down and B. It's happened every quarter, 80 quarters in a row since I've been at CNBC. I'm 
on a serious note, some of the obvious trends serious. were there. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, for instance, we know that uh, the subscriber numbers were dropping very aggressively on the back of some of those COVID trends normalising, so we're no longer declining. So we got back up in terms of the, the subscriber numbers. Goldman Sachs, we all know that investment banking has fallen off a cliff this year. We've got the devil in the detail and the reorganisation behind. So in terms of a lot of the obvious uh, factors we've been covering this year, I think a lot of it was just presented on a plate yesterday. Yeah, and I think the, the, the story you mentioned there about Goldman's and Netflix, I, I think they're actually a little bit different because they're both about restructuring. Netflix is about its new model for the, the lower end and how it's going to shore up uh, subscriber numbers and revenues. Goldman's is about a reorganisation of the company. So whilst absolutely I agree with you totally, those two have a divergent because they were revealing more details about um, changes. I must move on because I want to stay on track because I've, I've upset the well, no, no, I'm not going to. Well, well, I'm well, not well, because well, well. Jeffrey's giving me that look. No, 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 no. I was just going to throw in some of the macro. I mean, what, what else do we know first thing this morning? We know that the FT was wrong on QT for the Bank of England. Yes, it was. We know that the EU still can't get its act together on a price cap. And we know that uh, Joe Biden still thinks that you can move the oil price by releasing more from the strategic reserves. Um, those three stories, I think, will hang like... Uh, rather grey clouds over the market's mood this yes. morning. Yeah, and we have a, 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 quite frankly, a Prime Minister in the UK who has stunningly eroded power. But the exciting thing is, and, and if you're an international viewer and you want to see the theatre, you don't just have to go to, I don't know, Broadway. Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil. Well, it was Bro very much like Cirque du Soleil, wasn't it? All that juggling going on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more like Potter. Julius Caesar, actually, the British politics. Harry Potter, I think. I mean, there's all sorts of potions and mysterious works happening behind yeah, the yeah. scenes. I was just going to say, watch PMQs, basically. Uh, so it's, who, it's, it's, it's where the theatre's at. Who is Voldemort in your um, version of the <laughs> British government and Harry Potter? Would just be mean if I Right, OK. Uh, I was actually going to move on to ASML. I, I was on track, producers. It wasn't me today. Um, the shares have had an absolutely horror story this year, down 43% so far. Um, their high of the last 52 weeks is 777 uh, euros. Um, the low is 375, and they're just above that at the moment. Uh, this is a group which has, of course, supply chain issues, spending cuts, concerns about US trade curbs on China as well. So let's take a look at what they're doing over at ASML. Uh, 5.8 billion euros of net sales, 1.7 billion euros of net income in the third quarter as well. I mean, these are just numbers. The margin, here we go, that's more interesting. Gross margin around 49%. Uh, record quarterly net bookings. Well, there you go. There's the answer. Record quarterly net bookings in the third quarter of 8.9 billion euros. Um, so that's a, a solid figure. We are continuing to assess and follow new US export control regulations. That is absolutely key. Um, the L of ASML, by the way, is for lithography, which is uh, a very interesting word. Lithography. These are the machines that make the yeah. chips, of course. Um, equipment shipped by ASML out of the Netherlands, and we expect a direct impact. Um, new restrictions do not amend rules governing lithography machines shipped out of the Netherlands. I am very interested in this company because I right. think they are now at the heart of uh, many parallel narratives. One is obviously the United States trade war with China, which a ASML now finds itself collateral Slap damage in. 16% of this business's products went to China in 2021. Mm -hmm. And one imagines that that will only decline now because the uh, sanctions that the United States have introduced 
introduced have not only prevented them from selling advanced machines to China, those rules were in place since 2019, but they have also cut into the ability of this business to sell further product into China going forward here. And yet it is a European company, one of the few European companies that we have on this side of the water that is actually leading edge and competitive with anything you see in the United States or anywhere else in the world. What we are seeing here is the sharp edge of its um, um, technology being dulled, it seems to me, a little bit and their ambition by what is being done by the United States. And I'm very interested to see how the EU, the Commission and Brussels fight its corner, because if they don't, this will be one more European business that loses its competitive edge globally. Netflix shares surged in extended trade after the streaming giant posted better than expected results for its third quarter. The company added 2.4 million new global subscribers, more than double its previous forecast. Both revenue and profit also came in ahead of expectations. Netflix said popular shows including Stranger Things and The Watcher helped drive results higher, with the group now expecting to grow its subscriber base further in the next quarter. However, the firm said it would stop including subscriber forecasts in its quarterly reports, citing an increased focus on revenue as its key metric. The streamer also updated investors on its new ad-supported plan, which will launch later in November. The firm's chief financial officer said they do not expect the new advertising business to have an immediate impact on results. Um, but some of those revenue accelerators that, that we know we're focused on in the near term, whether it's ads, we just talked a bunch about that. There's not going to be, a, you know, we don't expect at least a big financial impact in this, this first launch quarter. Um, and, you know, we also, as we talked about in the letter, we have a, a solution that we'll be rolling out in 23 for paid sharing and, and monetizing all that unpaid viewing we've been talking about. But again, that doesn't even start rolling out until until early 23. And there's some other near term limiters to our growth. There's on, on the con, uh, take currency out. Um, we still have, you know, penetrating the, the connected TV market in the sales cycle there. We got competition. We got some macro strain whether it's higher inflation, energy prices, um, and some of the geopolitical strain around the world. So all those things are factored into our guide. It's a little bit less visibility than we typically would see. But overall, we feel really good that we're, we're building that momentum. Let's get to Neil Campling, head of TMT Research at Mirabeau GTS. Neil, thank you very much for joining us. I want to pick up on subscribers first up. Uh, the number now expanding after decline and spooking investors previously. But that said, if we compare this number that we've had 2.4 million new subscribers, it is still down the 4.4 million we had same quarter a year prior. Can I just get into this? What happens next? The company is telling us we're not going to get details of subscriber numbers. Is that the right course of action or are they just trying to take away a key data point here? when it's going to be tricky to grow subscribers. Sure. Morning, Karen. I, I think um, I'm actually really pleased that they are moving away from that particular uh, metric, which I think is overly obsessed by the street, um, because actually they've only, they've only met the number on that guidance once in the last 24 quarters. So um, moving that away and looking at profitability and revenues and cash flow are all good things. So um, I, I think we can, we can stop obsessing about that net subscriber number. The important thing now is to drive the business into the, the next uh, phase of growth for the business. Um, and, that, and that's essential, I think, for, uh, for looking at this business in a very uh, more mature uh, way in terms of uh, the, the business now. It's no longer about the first mover advantage or about scaling 
um, ahead of competition because uh, yeah, that, we're, we're, that, that past, that, that is now in the past. Two points then on the future and revenue, Neil, because the company has two new features here, one being the ad-supported model, so we're serving up ads to customers who pay a cheaper amount for their subscription, and the other point being cracking down on password sharing. How does it manage to proceed with this ad-supported model when we've got cyclical headwinds now, and on the other side, not annoying subscribers where they turn off their entire account because family members can't access the account? Yeah, well, I think uh, to, to a degree, um, the, on, the, on the first point, it, they talk about being pro-consumer, and it's really a kind of a widening the appeal of the service to more users. There's a very interesting um, dynamic at play here in that actually they are obviously trying to capture a, a, an, an additional part of the market at the lower end, whereas Disney are actually what they're doing is raising their pricing by 30%. Um, if you look at what their plans do in December, so they're now going for a matter of thinking that they're, content is good enough to charge more for the basic service, whereas Netflix are trying to capture, I think, a larger moat, if you like, of the market. The second point in terms of uh, if we're looking at the password sharing, these are the kind of services that companies such as Sky, for example, in the UK have done already, where you get a, a limited number of, of applications or, or apps that can access that service. I think that's a fair point to do. I think most users will admit that um, uh, there has uh, been a, a lot of kind of free riding, if you like, or freeloading on that content. And it's uh, it's a natural thing to try and monetize that. And feedback I've had from investors is they've wanted Netflix to uh, to, to look to do this, to monetize their base uh, more you know, efficiently for a number of years. Uh, Neil, interesting. I, I noticed they've just introduced this new feature where you can um, make your profile portable, which I guess is something that they hope will allow or encourage people to move to their own subscription if they move geographically or if they you know, effectively um, are no longer part of the same community or family. The other thing I'm interested in is how they grow emerging market subscriptions, because it seems to me they're failing to get traction in a lot of parts of the world where English is not the language uh, that, that the population uses. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, that, that part of the market is very difficult for many players. If you look at the reason why um, Disney has been successful, particularly in India, um, it's with the acquisition of stars and because they had a very cheap offering with the golden ticket of the cricket IPL. Um, that, I think, is very difficult for Netflix to replicate without huge investment in a, in a lot of local language um, services or an entry into sports, which they seem um, you know, very apprehensive of, of trying to uh, compete with the likes of Disney and, and Amazon to do. So I think now it's about monetizing the existing base, uh, especially in the Western markets where you do have the heavy investments and looking to monetize the IP and the franchises, whereas you can do with things such as um, gaming uh, that can complement that IP rather than focusing on emerging markets. Good morning to you. Um, can I ask you more generically about growth investor? Nasdaq's had a couple of good days as well, but my goodness me, what a battering growth has had because suddenly um, people are pricing money somewhere near historical levels. Um, what's that doing to the appetite for the sector? Are people dipping their toe or, or is it just more generally very worrisome environment? Uh, we had a lot of um, meetings recently with investors and, and basically there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. There are people very interested in, in ideas and um, and looking at you, the next cycle, as in who could be the emerging winners of that cycle, but they're not yet sort of uh, prepared to de deploy that capital. I think they're still waiting and may perhaps waiting for another one more kind of capitulation phase uh, to take to take place. 
you mentioned at the start of the program, I think ASML, for example, that is a, uh, a, a good example. Um, and I would add Agent into that as a European technology champion that has a global footprint of the kinds of companies that will emerge long term as, uh, as great uh, opportunities, I think, as having a global footprint and a global sort of uh, yeah, positioning that is unrivaled um, and is where people will probably likely you know, dip their toe back in, as you say. But I think that's going to take some time still. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, terrific to have you on board. Thanks so much for, for running through the numbers for us this morning. Neil Campling, head of TMT Research at Mirabal GTS, and an interesting line also on ASML. Nestle coming out with its um, uh, numbers this morning. Nine-month revenue, 69 billion. Nestle outlook, uh, full-year organic growth, 8%. Nine-month sales up 9.2% then in Swiss francs. The um, company uh, giving us a volume growth of 1%, pricing growth of 7.5%. The uh, company says the uh, organic sales growth in at 8.5% here. I guess the challenge for, for Nestle, many challenges to be honest, but the challenge of course was going to be how they maintain uh, margin in an environment where uh, they are facing inflationary pressures on the input side, but also they will be um, under pressure to keep prices contained by the supermarkets, the grocers and the, and the resellers here. So as far as these Nestle numbers are concerned, Juliana is with us on set to talk us through. Uh, and you're going to be talking to the principal later. I think Juliana. Well, I'll kick off with the numbers themselves. In terms of what Nestle has reported, the pricing was going to be key this quarter. To what extent Nestle uh, could increase prices to make up for higher cost of goods sold. And pricing has come in at 7.5%. There were some analysts on the more bullish side of the spectrum looking at potentially double-digit price increases. So the pricing figure looks a little bit light here. Um, in terms of the outlook, that's another key focus for investors. And there are two pieces here here in terms of sales growth they have raised their sales growth forecast for the year to around eight percent we were looking at like for like net sales growth of seven to eight percent as of last quarter so they've upgraded that guidance on the margin front it looks as though they have kept their um, trading operating profit margin forecast at around 17 percent which is uh, where it was last quarter and it had been lowered last quarter so they've maintained that slightly lower guidance in terms of portfolio management, looking at these numbers here, um, they say portfolio management on track. And Nestle Health Science has been busy over the last quarter, completing uh, a couple of acquisitions. And that's going to be a focus point for the Capital Markets Day Nestle is holding later this year. Um, in terms of the uh, impact of a slowing growth environment on Nestle, um, their health business is largely focused on vitamins. And that tends to be something that gets hit hard in an environment where discretionary spend gets hit. So that's going to be a big focus for the Capital Markets Day. Um, but Looking at these numbers overall, pricing is going to be the key here, and it looks a little bit light versus ex expectation and then mixed on the outlook front. Can I just pluck out noodles from the mix because that was one of the growth areas, and of course this is a much cheaper product category uh, you know, or serious 
and this is around uh, you know instant noodles, that type of category. Does that say something about the consumer? And if we look at the numbers, you said it was light on pricing. I mean, how much more do we want to see in terms of pricing action as we talk about high single digits? Aren't we just running up against a hurdle now in terms of how much these companies can charge consumers? Mm. Well, Nestle has a very diverse portfolio, so I suppose it depends on what part of the portfolio we're talking about here. Things like noodles, which are arguably in the more essential category, they are absolutely um, going to run into issues there. And Nestle has had a very incremental pricing strategy, pushing through smaller price, uh, incremental price increases, which uh, has some investors cautious that it's going to take them a lot longer to make up for the increase in cost of goods sold. Just two stats I would throw out there in terms of the portfolio, 80% of Nestle's portfolio has number one or number two market positions, market share positions. And then the second stat, 35% of sales are classified as premium. So uh, less exposure to private label or trading down in those categories. Isn't it interesting that there are many things that we won't pay for, but we will always pay for our pets. That's right. And it, 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 you know, the, the biggest them. growth driver for, for Nestle Purina, right, the, the, the pet care segment. Um, and, and it's astonishing that Which it doesn't seem wonder. to matter how much the price goes up. We're always willing to shell out for the animals. But it makes you wonder whether that is a, a new consumer, because most of us who've had pets for a while don't buy that type of brand. We buy other ones from the, the vet. We buy, you know, we dig a little bit deeper in terms of the, the pet health care. I think that's a very obvious go-to off the shelf, shelf product. And perhaps it is for a new consumer. Why are you laughing at me? That's a sweeping <laughs> generalisation, Karen. Most of us Karen, don't buy that brand. It's quite a statement. Why I mean, obviously right? somebody is, otherwise they wouldn't be selling as much as they are at the moment. But it's quite interesting but that when... Your, your shishi London pet requires extra special diet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pedigree owners find that the, there are digestive issues with certain pets. Especially with your dog. Especially with your, you're in and out. You're like, God, Karen's coming back to the vets. <laughs> Bring up the till. But yeah. I mean, how, you spent a few quid, haven't you? How many different brands have you tried for your pet? One. At this point? Really? Yeah. That, that seems to be unusual. I looked at the highest protein content and been with it ever since. Right. And is that off the shelf or is that from a, from a vet? From the, 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 the well-known pet store. Right. Um, infant, uh, infant nutrition also doing well here. Again, these are, these are interesting areas where uh, I guess it's perfectly understandable why people are prepared to pay a premium mm. and a little bit over the top. And some of us are prepared to pay quite a bit more, <laughs> yeah. well, it seems. From the vet. To Karen's point, in, ter in terms of pet care, they are seeing particularly strong growth in pet specialty stores. So not yeah, necessarily Karen, in the stores that in supermarkets and the like, but Steve, I, I would well, say you're in the minority in having a what? pet that takes the one brand you exactly get Exactly right. Uh, you shouldn't alter the dog's no. diet that much. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, no, they're not no. humans. They Which upset their tummy. exciting for yes. the dog to eat the same food day in, day out. Do you know what? Yeah, I've, I've, got got Labrador. Steve, I've, I've got a Labrador. I've got a Labrador. He's everything you can find. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but generally it's a good idea to keep them on the one brand, isn't it? Otherwise yeah. you do have tummy problems, which is Well, we can go into the raw versus kibble debate. That's another story. Well, and ultimately where it all ends up, which is much more Or if you have a really expensive pet, you end up just boiling chicken and rice for them every day. See, Juliana, look where you've sent us on this conversation. So glad I joined. Trouble round the set, as always, Um Coming up on the show, <laughs> Goldman Sachs chief David Solomon warns of the impact of rising rates on the bank's pet, but no, bank's consumer business, I beg your pardon, uh, in an exclusive interview. We'll bring you that.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Yeah? We're still, we didn't mention cat chow. What's cat chow? Apparently, it's a new brand. Uh, we, we may have okay. to try it. Dog oh, chow is, and is cat it, Is chow. that mainstream cow or is it one you'd have? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and investigate. It's not expensive enough. Apparently, we have to do Goldman's. We, we have to push on. Apparently, there are other brands available. Goldman Sachs whiskey. has beaten on third quarter estimates on both the top and bottom lines. The bank reported revenue of almost $12 billion, lower on the back of weakness in deal making. The US lender also updated markets on its reorganization, which will see it uh, shrink the firm, uh, shrink its trading and investment bank business into one unit. The CEO David Solomon spoke exclusively to our U.S. colleagues about the outlook for the U.S. economy. There's no question we're tightening economic conditions relatively quickly. We're reversing what's been a very, very long period of relatively easy economic conditions. And as you do that, at some point, there's going to be a bigger impact on consumer behavior, on market behavior. You know, I think we've started to see that. Oh, goody, then let me sit down for a moment. Okay, let's have a look at the US markets. They did rally again yesterday. It was all about the earnings as well uh, and the data. I, I need to tell you about the data. Oh, I should mention, we've mentioned Netflix. We've mentioned Goldman's, of course. Uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, that one was a very solid performance, up 8.7% after its earnings per share uh, topped expectations. Salesforce, 4.3% rise after activist starboard value LP revealed a stake as well. So there was a lot going on in the individual corporates. There was a lot going on on the data as well. And there is today as well. We had the uh, house builder sentiment, which was down again. But the manufacturing data was solid. So again, very mixed picture of the US economy. We're going to get more of that mixed picture today with the mortgage applications, housing starts. I don't expect those to be too pretty, to be fair. Uh, and the beige book is due at 1400 Eastern time. The market's weak to date so far. And there you go. Very solid performance. Uh, big rally on all three of the major indices. We'll take a look at the yields across the board on the US and we have a 4% pretty much there or thereabouts uh, on the 10-year paper. Now the Asian indices, are they following on from what we saw in the United States? And the answer is actually very mixed. In fact, if anything, a negative bias with the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng under a significant amount of pressure. Talking of the Hang Seng... Yeah, and I think that number is very um, illustrative of the kind of disappointment we've seen around the uh, Party Congress so far with regard to opening up in Hong Kong for business and tourists. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.